What's up guys, this is Corey Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. In my business, we do tons of heavy grinding every single day, and we needed a grinder that could take abuse and keep on trucking without slowing down billet production. The Ameri Braid Variable Speed 2x72 is just that. All heavy duty parts and framing with well thought out accessories that are easy to use and not bogged down with lots of tiny parts. By far the best accessory item that a Mary Braid sells is their surface grinding attachment. It is absolutely foolproof and the best in the industry. With quick release magnet system, there is no prying your workpiece off the platen. Very fast to slap a billet or a knife onto the table, engage magnets, and start surfacing with precise increments. On top of all of this, their customer support is outstanding. Eric and Kevin are always available and fast to help with any situation. If you're in the market for a top-of-the-line grinder or maybe just an accessory to add to your existing setup, go to marybraid.com and use the code HUSTLE100 for 100 bucks off any grinder package. All right, next up, the Hustle & Grind Podcast. Fuck that theme song. Let's roll right into it. You got me, Ryan Chadbourne Knifeworks, here with Noah Bloomberg of the Out River Forge. And this week, we got Mike Jones of Mike Jones Knife and Tool. Mike Jones! Hey, thanks for having me back. (laughs) Thanks for coming on short notice. We got ghosted by our booked guest, son of a bitch. Welcome. And yeah, I had had days and days... Yes, I hope he's okay. I'm sure he's fine. But I had days and days and days because I was like calling him and like, oh, oh, he's not answering me. He's not answering me. But I was holding out hope. So then being the procrastinator that I am, I scrambled at the last minute to get you on. Meanwhile, Noah's texting you every single day. Yeah. Who's our guest? Who's our guest? I'm like, I don't know yet. Call him Nick. Was it Nick Tobin? He's probably out stand up paddleboarding or something. <laughs> no, it wasn't Nick Tobin. <laughs> Does he do stand up paddleboarding? I didn't know that. I don't know. He got a kayak or something. It's basically oh, okay. a sit down paddleboard. <laughs> I was going to say my my wife's really big into stand up paddleboarding. I didn't. I don't know any guys that are. That was that, that was not an insult to any of you guys out there that are into stand up paddleboarding. <laughs> oh. Don't DM me. I'm sorry. Okay. That, that that was not a stereotyping. I think the guys who are in it are into the girls who are into it. It'd be my guess. That's probably yeah. true. That'll happen. I tried like, it once. Oh, it's actually thing. harder than it looks. It's super hard. I got on my wife's one time and immediately fell off. <laughs> <laughs> I can balance okay. Just just not on just not on a kid's scooter. That I can't do, but I can I can stand on a paddleboard. Jeez, we should have had Honor back on this weekend so he could say stuff about your nipple popping out, Noah. I see your oh. nipple. Oh, jeez, I'm, I'm so sorry for being <laughs> immodest for the camera there. Jesus, Mike looks unimpressed. You got to get a hold of a Maribraid and get one of those sweet sleeved t-shirts that uh, Ryan's rocking there. I know, Listen I need that. a Maribraid t-shirt. You know, like some of the t-shirts, we all accumulate t-shirts from doing this and some of them are shit this one this is one of the thickest nicest t-shirts that i've ever owned so if you're looking for a nice good t-shirt hit up a Maribraid. shout out to those guys yeah you get a free one with a surface grinder that those surface grinders look nice don't they i know i need to get one of those for sure 
But uh, you know, I apologize for my attire today. Luckily, the listeners, most of them can't see me, but uh, it's it's been about like 95 degrees here, and I've been working in a shop all day with no AC. And uh, in the summertime, I'm not a big fan of sleeves, so all of my all of my shirts that have reached a certain age, the sleeves just get sliced off and they just get shredded. So it's just what happens. Yeah, you guys are lucky. I'm wearing clothing at all right here. It's hot, <laughs> hot up here in Canada right now. I have a well, coworker who cut the sleeves came on basically naked. So you're you're looking great, man. He did too. His whole chest was hanging out. He's like, oi. <laughs> He's a great I just guy. About, I just about fell out of my chair when he uh, showed off his shorts with his wife's face on the front of him. Oh, he's one of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys did you guys oh, catch me just, on uh delivery on, there was awesome. Uh, did you guys catch me on their podcast? No, I didn't see that one. Oh, I was on fire and steel. It was pretty good. It was just me and honor. And uh, I listened to, to the to most of it. Uh, unfortunately, work got in the way. People kept trying to talk to me, which really pissed me off. Um, I listened to most of it, but it was basically the bro down British British version. I was thinking that, too. It was a lot like the bro down. But me and honor haven't known each other for 25 years. And the yeah. bro down is still going on. We haven't done an episode in a few weeks because Richie's got a lot of shit going on. But as soon as his life calms down, then we'll get back to recording. Right on. Not that anybody listens to that show, but it's okay. But they should. I do. I Other people might. You never know. We get about 80 downloads an episode. So it's not, you know, it's creeping up there. Right on. Well, anyways, uh, Mike, <laughs> how are you, man? Like, uh, no, 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 no offense there, Ryan, but we got Mike Jones on the on the on the podcast, man. Uh, what have you been up to, man? I haven't I haven't seen a lot of your content lately, and this might just be the algorithm because I've I've had this happen a lot lately, where I'll be talking to somebody and I'll be like, oh yeah, I haven't seen much of your stuff lately, and they're like, oh, did you just see the thing I posted the other day? I'm like, no, no, I didn't. I definitely uh, definitely wish I had. Um, but the one thing that I noticed a lot about your content is you do a lot of those really, um, oh, what's the, the the gratuitous handle wipe where you like to show the handle just sanded and then you do the the, the swipe with the oil uh, to show off the the handle material. Uh, aside from doing some, some really sick handle wipes, what have you been up to lately, man? Yeah, um, it's probably a combination of me not posting as much and then... Uh, yeah, it's, it's always a battle with the algorithm these days, trying to get your stuff out there. Um, they say that now they're trying to compete with TikTok, so you're supposed to do a lot of reels, but that doesn't even seem to help. So who knows? I'm sick of fighting with it. It's been like six years and over it. So uh, yeah. I just put up what I can, when I can, when there's something that I think is cool worth seeing, and hopefully people see it. But um, yeah, people love the wipey thingy, um, handle wipes. It seems like I used to just I used to tag them all as the best part because it was that's like one of my favorite parts of making knives is that first wipe on, with the finish on a handle and you get to see all that contrast and color and grain and everything pop out of it for the first time all finished. So uh, people love it when I share that with with them as well. So it's um, that one's always popular. But otherwise, now I've been uh i've had a huge order that i was working on for a big number of knives so that took up most of my time and it wasn't a lot of really exciting stuff 
going on. It was very repetitive. So that didn't end up generating a whole lot of content. Um, but now I'm back into, I, I got like four or five custom Damascus blades on the go right now. So um, they'll be coming along soon. So uh, yeah, hopefully they turn out good and I can post some cool photos and reels about that. Maybe you'll see one. Nice. Hell yeah. I noticed you you, uh, you do a lot of like the really bold, <laughs> low layer patterns, which me personally, I have always been more attracted to bold and low layer and, and something that really catches your eye than some of the higher layer Damascus. And this isn't, you know, a knock on anybody because, you know, it takes a lot of skill and time to to do those those higher layer and more complicated uh, patterns. But something that's really eye catching is that that nice dark etch on like a, a bold pattern uh, knife. Do you I haven't really seen any of your content around you doing much forging. So do you forge your own Damascus and everything? Nope, I don't have any of the power tools that would make it um, effective or efficient, you know, and it would take me. I don't know if you guys forge out much Damascus by hand, but uh, the little bit that I've done took forever and uh, wasn't cost effective <laughs> at all. So I um, gotcha. I just been buying billets from. Uh, MC Knife Works. He's uh, in Alberta, I believe. He's at a Medicine Hat, and so he's doing awesome work. He's been super good. He ships right away to me. Um, everything that I've had just turned out perfect. Uh, he'll do some higher layer stuff too if you ask him. But I'm kind of the same way as you. I like that lower layer stuff. You got to be a little more careful because it shows off scratches a lot more obvious than the higher yeah. layer, like that really messy, really tight, high layered um, uh, stuff. It, it seems to mask any of those little imperfections, but that low layer stuff, like you'll see if you've got, if you still got like a 320 scratch across the dark part, it's going to show up. So you got to yes, be a lot more sure. careful with it. But yeah, it's it's good. And especially when that pattern comes out nice and dark and you get your etch just right, it turns out super sweet and you can feel the layers between them. But I mean, I like that higher layer stuff. Um, Nick actually pickle cutters. He's been doing some super cool Damascus patterns lately. The only stuff oh, that yeah. I don't really care for is like the really geometric stuff. That's like, um, I mean, they take a ton of skill to do for sure, but they just, uh, it, it ends up looking, I don't know. looks more like a, like a, like that mosaic pattern. Like it almost looks like a, an ancient Egyptian tile floor or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, um, not my favorite. Like, uh, He's from Maine too. Uh, about Jason, like, Jason Morrissey. Yeah, he does a lot of that stuff. Yeah, some yeah. of those. You're talking about like the explosion patterns and then tiled and and stacked. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I really like like the feathered stuff. Um, like um, Joe Shrum, he's doing like super sick integrated um, feather patterns and things like that. It turned out amazing. So that stuff, I that stuff's super cool. I like the, those patterns, but. Um, yeah, just the really like mosaic tile floor kind of stuff. Who was I, that I reel? Like I sent you a reel the other day. No, Noah and I were talking off air last week about uh, how as makers, when we're scrolling through Instagram and stuff, we see feather Damascus. We see, you know, random pattern, ladder, raindrop, every, and it kind of you become numb to it because we see it all the time. And then I was scrolling through the other day and I found one that was unbelievable it was fucking beautiful it looked Charles like Charles Lionheart 
Yes, child Charles Linehart. He did this like feather type Damascus, but it wasn't like a feather where it's it's got a seam in the middle. The seam was on the spine and it looked like hair coming yeah, down. Yeah, I think the side I might have seen that same one actually. Yeah. It's just and the, and all those hairs are super bright and then the just the edge was really really dark. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. It's cool when like something like that that's notable to like you say people who are just overexposed and overstimulated by that sort of stuff like constantly um when something really stands out to then you know it's something special i guess yeah yeah when it, if it stands out to one of us and it's like oh holy you know most people they'll see any damascus if they're not a knife maker and be like oh my god oh my god but to us we're like oh yeah cool yeah they'll see that 200 dollars one at the gas station and think it's <laughs> but yeah shout out to, shout out to charles Linehart. that was really a beautiful beautiful piece and I, I i'm not even sure how exactly he did it because again like the feather itself was very bright there was a lot obviously a lot of 15 and 20 in that and it just faded beautifully into that that black edge and it just kind of looked like a if you're having a hard time visualizing this to the listeners essentially like one wing so the blade shape if you can imagine the the kind of this the curved cutting edge is is being the the outside of the wing where the feathers are coming down just gorgeous very very unique and very cool yeah that one definitely stopped me scrolling for a second too i had an extra extra long look at that one Mm. i've never talked to him but That'd be interesting to find out how he did that. It almost looks like cable. You know what I mean? Like if he took the strands of a cable. Maybe we'll have to invite him on the show and ask him about it. Sneaky, sneaky. Some guys don't like to share their secrets, though. I was wondering if maybe it was um, clad on the outside somehow. Yeah, I thought about that as well, but it would be difficult to get the kind of the wispiness of the two layers kind of coming together is the way that I don't yeah, know. I can't describe so it. Seamless and clean. It was nice. Anyways. But yeah, so I get this... um, I get all my Damascus stuff from a, a guy with the power equipment to make it. <laughs> and then I just get yeah. it in and billets. That's pretty much why I've decided to switch gears from thinking I was going to make my own because What's the point now? There's so many people out there selling affordable Damascus. It's like, yeah, it's why? like trying to make your own like micarta and stuff. It's like, if you want to have all that set up and spend all that time doing it, and then, you know, you have the control over it and you can do it all pretty quick, but there's so many guys supplying that stuff and it's they're They do such a good job because they're set up to do that one specific thing. Yeah. It's like, let them it's do like, it, it. Support those guys. Exactly. It's like, you know, save that for something else. Save that space and tooling for something else. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to do stuff completely in-house once in a while or whatever, but when you're trying to make a go of it, trying to make a living at it, you really got to look hard at what what parts of the process are worth it for you. you And there is is some value in being able to say, I made the steel, I made the handle material, and I made the blade. Um, But how much of that value is feasible for everybody? Um, Speaking of Tobin, I mean, we're talking about Nick a lot on so far, but uh, he does that. He makes the steel and everything. And but for him, it works. 
Yeah, if you can, we'll, if you we'll, can we'll, charge Noah, it. Noah, sorry. I, I'm yeah, sitting right it. here, man. Come on. <laughs> and Noah makes his own steel, too. And it, you know, I mean, if you're only doing one offs, then it's totally it could be feasible if your market uh, fetches the money that you need to get to make it worth it. That's right. right. It's all going to make the sense. difference in, in my situation is that I just make knives for for fun, basically. Like, yeah, I, I do sell my knives, but like I, I have a miserable day job that that pays my bills and my knives just fund more knives. So but that's what allows me to do the stuff that I like doing, which is making Damascus and forging blades that don't necessarily need to be forged. Just uh, just because that's what I love. I love trying to make new patterns and I love trying to think outside the box and create new things and my income doesn't depend on it. So I can, you know, that gives me the freedom to do it. I was just going to say, you've got that freedom where it's not dependent. Your, your mortgage isn't dependent on selling those knives. So it's, yeah, you get to kind of do a little more of whatever you want. Absolutely. And right now cool. it's taking a few less custom orders. Right. Because did, uh, did you have a this or that lined up for Mr. Mike Jones? I do not have a this or that lined up for Mr. Mike Jones, and that's because I'm in the process of working on some stuff for, for you lovely listeners. I do have some pretty good um, Florida Man stories, though, if we wanted to uh, want to switch gears into that. Sure, we could do that early. Why not? Why not? Let's just go ahead and do it. Why not? Um, Why not? So this is some classic Florida Man, and uh, all... All of these stories that I'm about to read are, are real stories that happened. And you guys just have to guess whether this was a, a Florida man story that was truly from Florida. And, uh, and here we go. Our first headline reads, Rattlesnake bites man who tried to kiss it. A man was in critical condition after he tried to kiss a rattlesnake, but was bitten instead, authorities say. A friend of the victim said that he had been drinking while handling the seemingly calm snake. But when he moved toward the reptile as if to kiss it, the snake bit him. Do you believe that this lover of snakes was a Florida man or somewhere else? Do they have uh, rattlers in Florida? That's what I was thinking. It sounds like. Yes, they, yeah, they do. Do they? Okay. That sounds more like yeah. Texas man or something. I think I think rattlesnakes are pretty much in. Aren't they in all states? We don't really? have them. You don't have them in Maine? No, we oh. have nothing poisonous here. I, I think nothing. we have some in the drier areas of British Columbia up here. We got them here. I'm saying Assault. I'm saying no. I think that's from somewhere else. Um. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Mike. You guys are both going to go. I feel like okay. if they were kissing an alligator. Yeah, <laughs> or a boa constructor. <laughs> yeah, because I know they got problems with boas. Okay, you're both going not Florida. That was uh -oh. indeed Florida. And that story is courtesy of our very own Luke Johnson. So yeah. thank you very much, Luke, Way for to that go, story. Luke. I've got... I got to tell you guys, but like before I get on to this next story, I have gotten some freaking stories. So we're actually going to do um, I don't have it like printed out and everything all nice and neat, but I've got some stories that I need to get like out. So 
for those of you that are patrons, you need to you need to listen to the after show because I have some some non main show rated stories that have been sent to me that are too good to just ignore. Like sometimes people send me stuff and it's like, eh, okay, yeah, that falls in the capitalism or or you know incest region where we're not going to put that on the show but uh but they've they've been sending me some really good ones that are like ah that's just a little bit too awful to put on the show so uh but it's not too awful to read on the after show so those of you that are interested um for for some really hilarious really messed up stories uh you're gonna have to get over onto that after show uh all right next up Drunk driver with blood alcohol content nine times above legal limit breaks U.S. record, gets more than a year in jail. Nathan Danzuka, 28, blew a 0.778%, breaking the standing record for highest blood alcohol content. Police recalled when he was accused of leaving the scene of an accident, booze containers were strewn throughout the car when he was pulled over at 1 p.m. on Friday. Police said that Dan Zuka sped away when he was asked to get out of the car for sobriety testing. After just a half mile, he slammed into a concrete divider. Dan Zuka, 190 pounds and five foot seven, would have to have drunk around 30 shots within a three to four hour uh, range to reach that BAC. They shouldn't advertise that there's a record for how drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 0.77 pussy i can beat that <laughs> i beat that before i was thinking the exact same thing they should not let anybody know oh that's the record nine times easy <laughs> yeah um and and i will say uh this i didn't i didn't write it down here but the previous record that this guy beat was from the same state that this person is from oh that's florida man I'm into that. Yeah, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go Florida. I'll go. Yeah, Florida. I got to say, if it's two consecutive records in a row for drunkest ever right. pulled over. Final answer, both of you. Yep. Yep. Oh, Jesus. Damn. I'm sorry, guys. That is Oregon. What? And wow. I had no idea that people in Oregon were drunk drivers to this degree. But yeah, there was all kinds of stats that were coming out of Oregon about how much people drink and drive there. Um, well, that's strong craft beer, I guess. Well, what I was thinking about is, has, has either one of you ever been to Oregon? Yeah. Yeah, I would drink too. <laughs> it's a beautiful state. <laughs> It's always it's it's like the it's like the west uh, the west part of this state. It's always raining and it's cold and wet and depressing. Yeah, At least that's when true. I was there. <coughs> when it's I was there, it's beautiful. But I was only in Grants Pass, and then we drove straight south. Okay, I've been down through years and years ago before it got super hipster. I was down in Portland and Lincoln City and stuff, and it was reminded me a lot of um, like Northern Ontario. Like uh, cottage country up around, like the just all super nice forests and hills, and but yeah, it's definitely uh, yeah. right just south of Washington State, right? Yep. So it's yeah, Pacific Northwest. I've only been down there a couple times, so I honestly, I really don't know. I just like to insult the states around me whenever possible. Oh yeah, yeah. Me I mean, too. 
<laughs> when I was in California, it was 15 years ago. And it was like coming from Maine to California. It was weird. Going to Humboldt County, California, too, where the hippies are. It was like I was in like a different planet. Like my manager didn't want me to wear deodorant because the fragrance <laughs> of my deodorant offended her. What? It was the first time I had ever found a I had heard the term politically correct, and it was the first time I had ever been informed that you're not supposed to call homeless people bums. Because I said I was at work one day in a in a bread bakery, so we're all standing at tables shaping dough. And I was like, man, there's a lot of bums around here for such a nice area. And everybody like got all pissed off. You can't call them bums. You wouldn't want them to get offended. Yeah, they're the transient population. Yeah, the unhomed or whatever they're called now. Oh yep. no, they're called house houseless. Houseless. Yeah, or, what, or something like that. They are there houseless. Some, I'll give them that. There was some interesting looking homeless people when I was there. They didn't look like mentally ill or drug addled homeless. They looked like like I'm doing something for the world, like uh virtue signally homeless. And like one of them was this hippie guy and his whole beard was one dread. It looked like a fucking beaver tail. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. Good then there God. was another chick who always had the same sign. She was really kind of hot. And she was, it always said, uh, need money for guns and horses. <laughs> All right. Wow. Mm. That's one I thing about sh- Northern British Columbia is not a lot of them survive the winter. So they don't end up having a <laughs> huge population of the unhomed. Yeah. They here. congregate here in the winter. They like, like huddle their tents together in the woods and then spring comes around and the cops have to go clean them up. Yeah. We get a lot of them burning themselves down in the winter times. They try and have like kerosene fires or whatever in their little nylon tents. And it mm-hmm. never goes well. I guess they don't really read the warning labels on those tents. <laughs> we had for the longest time, we had like a certain street. It was called court street in Bangor, Maine. And that was where all the homeless people went. All the houses were condemned and they all just like lived in the houses and had barrel fires in the living rooms and shit. But they all stayed on Court Street. And then the city was like, fuck this. And they burned the whole street down. And what? Yeah. They used really? every house. Yeah. They used it as a fire department training. Quote, quotes. <laughs> wow. They, they burned the whole street down and they still haven't rebuilt. There's no houses on that street. Dang. Now wow. they just pitch tents everywhere. Yeah, it's becoming a problem. Mm. You guys, uh, you guys want to do another story? Sure. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry, we went off tangents. <laughs> All right, I got one last one here. Here we go. Uh, man settles race discrimination lawsuit, then bank won't cash his check, leading to another discrimination lawsuit. Santore Thomas sued his employer, alleging racial discrimination in a lawsuit that settled confidentially. Then he went to the bank this week to cash his settlement check, but the bank refused to cash or deposit his check. Instead, they called the cops and initiated a fraud investigation, action that dumbfounded Thomas and his lawyer, triggering another lawsuit. Lucky guy. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, he's scoring big time on that discrimination. That's like winning the lottery twice. So do you guys believe that this lawsuit inception man was from Florida or from somewhere else? Fuck. I read that article and I can't for the life of me remember where he was from either. 
I'm just trying to figure out if you would drop three non-Florida stories on us. Oh, the row. first one was Florida, man. Oh, was it? We just guessed wrong. Mm. We guessed not Florida because of the rattlesnake. Oh, yeah. yeah. Had a, hell, a lot of head injuries. <laughs> Hockey. Uh, I'm going not Florida, man. I'm going to go Florida. And that way one of us gets it right. Good call. <laughs> you just want somebody to get something right. <laughs> yeah, we can't go three for three with the host and the guest. It's You're not going to let me pitch a no-hitter? Man, yeah. Last time I crushed it, I feel like I think I did really well at this last If last I remember podcast. correctly, yeah, you did. All right, that was a Michigan man. Oh, B. Cone. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to so. B. Cone. I had a, Mike Jones, I got one at least. So me saying Michigan thinking of B. Cone makes me think of a conversation I had with Kyle Daly the other day about pizza. Okay. And we, were talk- we were talking about if, because I said I like deep dish pizza. Because thin crust is more like a snack and deep dish is more like a meal. And he said that B. Cone likes Detroit burnt pepperoni pizza. Which none of those things sound good to me. So if, <laughs> if anybody can reach out to me and explain to me what burnt deep pep- uh, burnt Detroit pepperoni pizza is, I'd appreciate it. But what do you guys like? You a thin crust guy? You a... Thick crust guy, you like meat lovers. Everybody's got. Oh, you guys got that weird uh, Canadian bacon up there too, Mike. Oh yeah, we do all kinds of stuff. We put pineapple on it sometimes on a Hawaiian. You assholes! <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I, I get down with the Hawaiian pizza every now and again. Pineapple is I... an amazing, delicious fruit, and it has nothing to do with pizza. Oh uh, hey, you could say the same thing with t- tomatoes. They're a delicious fruit. Mm-hmm. No, no one would say that. Okay. <laughs> I eat pickle pizza. I put pickles on my pizza. Oh, we've got one here that's um, it's like a what's a Cuban Cuban sandwich is like that um, with mustard and pickles and everything. They made that into a pizza, and it's really rich. But the pickles, the dill pickle slices on top, really cut through the richness of all the meat and the heavy sauce, and it is fucking delicious. But you can only have like a couple of slices of that one. It's Pretty heavy. I would try that. That yeah, sounds good. pretty good. I like pepperoni, bacon, and pickle. Ooh, that'd be nice. I don't think I've I don't think I've ever had pickle on a pizza. I'm gonna have to try that. It's good, man. It's good I either bet. way, too. You can put cold raw pickles on it or you can have them bake them on it. And either way it tastes good. Ooh, you could retrofit pickles on your pizza. It shows up. If they don't I've, offer I've, it as a hmm. I've had like pepperoncinis, which are like pickled peppers. I've had those on pizza, but I've never had actual pickles. So I'm sounds good. I'll try it. I love pepperoncinis. I like hot I put, food. And then I watched a competition show about eating hot peppers. And it made me not want to eat hot food anymore. It was fucking gross. Do you guys watch that? Um, hot First ones? We feast or whatever the hot ones. Yeah. Yeah. I Absolutely. love that show. Uh, I haven't seen any of the recent them. ones, but yeah, it's a great show. They've been getting some high, high end, like A list celebrities on there. Mm-hmm. It's fun watching like them cry. Jack was on there. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the I've seen the Shaq one. What uh, gets me is the uh the the people that can just go through the whole line, no problem. Um 
oh, shoot, da- is it Dax Shepard and his wife? Both of them went on the show two separate times, like separate each time. And both of them were totally fine all the way up through the full lineup and like no problem at all. And I just that, that host has got to have like ulcers or something by this oh point. Like, God, dude, dude does that all no the kidding. time. Imagine. Derek Lewis, the UFC fighter, was on there. The one who was like, my balls is hot in the post-fight <laughs> interview. He went on there and then he said he shit himself in the airport afterwards. <laughs> uh, oh man. They got they got sued by Coolio. What? Coolio. Why? Yeah, Coolio. He claimed they were trying to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Bill Burr was on it and he did really great on it. He was fucking hilarious. Um Aubrey oh. Plaza. She didn't even flinch. I believe it. So, yep. Yeah. She's the hot girl from Parks and Rec, yeah. She didn't even flinch, went all the way through it. Theo Vaughn was on. That was a good one. Oh, You're I should kidding. check that okay. out. Okay, I got to watch that. Yeah, Alton he... Brown was a good one. Did you guys see the Alton Brown one? No. Do you know who Alton Brown is? No. He's a chef. Um, He's on a lot of the, like, the Food Network shows and stuff. He hosts a lot of shows. But the dude was like critiquing the sauces and like the different flavors in them and stuff like not really considering them to be all that hot. He like at one point in time, he opened up one of the bottles and like took a swig out of it. It was hilarious. That guy's got a funny personality. Yeah, he does. Uh, and uh, speaking of celebrity chefs, um, who's what's the name of the, the biggest chef in the world? What's his name? Oh, uh, Gordon, Gordon Ramsay. Ramsay. I saw his episode. Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, he he said the F word probably 87 times in like a 20 minute show. It was it was crazy. He's at one point in time, he's got like two of those little lemon squirt bottles, like squirting them both into his mouth, just dying. Uh, yeah, he, he went scientific. He brought like donuts that are supposed to because the sugar is supposed to be good to counter it. He brought like ice yeah, cream. Yeah, a whole bunch of stuff to try and <laughs> counter that spice. Yikes! You would yeah. you would think a guy like him would have a little bit more of a hot palate, but I guess I guess maybe not. He's um, English. Yeah, I have a bartender friend who yeah. loves hot stuff, and he keeps a lineup of hot sauces. And I took the wife out to dinner. We went and saw him, and uh, he had one called Devil's Blood, and it looked like blood. And he wouldn't let me try it. He's like the last guy that tried it got a bloody nose. And we're too busy. He's like, you're too, we're too busy right now for you to get a bloody nose. I'm like, I ain't fucking drinking that. Give me a bloody nose. (laughs) I don't even really like Uh, hot stuff. I, I, all those are just like, it's just an acidic burn. It doesn't, most of them, like they don't taste great. It's just like how much acid can you, how much poison can you put in your mouth? Basically. Yeah. I'll take like, like, I'll take like a nice, like a well, um seasoned curry or something where it's like it's hot for a sec but but then it you know mellows out goes away even like horseradish i like horseradish because the same thing like it's it's hot it tastes really good and then it goes away as quick as it comes it doesn't just linger and ruin the rest of your night i like spicy things for flavor like frank's red hot i'll put frank's red hot on anything the original yeah Yeah, frank's red hot's good. good I like sriracha. I like uh, Cholula. That's my favorite. Most of the spicy stuff that I eat is all like Mexican food. So uh, Cholula. I don't really like the flavor Tabasco sauce. It's too vinegary for me. Um, It's like salt and vinegar. 
yeah, just like something that's got good flavor. Like it doesn't have to be overly spicy. Um, I tried one I of even, those. I even like that Valentina stuff. I call it Mexican Mexican yeah. ketchup. Yeah, it's yeah. not spicy at all, but it has like some good flavor to it. Yeah. My guts aren't set up to accommodate like super hot food. As hot as I can go with some jalapeno slices on nachos. If I go any hotter than that, even uh, even if I eat too many jalapenos, I'm fucking crying, dude. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's horrible. Get lava poops. It's like <laughs> hot lava coming out of you. Did I did I talk about the one chip challenge on the show? How like some of my coworkers <laughs> did that? No. OK, so uh, in, in the area that I work in, I have a lot of Hispanic coworkers. And so a few of them decided that they were going to do the one chip challenge at lunch at work. And if, if anybody's not familiar with the one chip challenge, let me just break it down for you. It's a package that has one chip inside of it. Okay. And they do like a different one every year. The first year was pretty hot. And the challenge is you eat the chip and then you see how long you can go before you eat or drink anything else. Like how long you can handle the spice. Well, this last year was pretty intense like the chip is like electric blue okay and i'm i'm sitting here with you know three or four hispanic dudes that i've seen eat stuff that i couldn't touch and they're just eating it like it's nothing and i mean granted i'm a bit of a sissy when it comes to hot stuff you know like sriracha is the hottest thing that i would really comfortably eat and i'm seeing these four guys basically crying like just absolutely dying and one of them reaches for ice cream within like seconds after eating this chip to just try and get the burn to go away but the worst part is is it doesn't just go away like these guys were dying all afternoon one of them had to go home early because they couldn't handle it so much and uh the next day they were still still hurting like their insides were not happy about what happened and uh, so there's the one guy that I work next to, uh, Soapy. We've we've asked him multiple times, like, hey, how much money would it take for you to do that again? And we haven't come up with a number to where he'd be willing to do it again. It was that bad. Wow. That doesn't sound like a good time to me at all. I no. actually saw on the news. It's been sending people to the hospital. People have been having like heart attacks from this one chip challenge. Like it's. It's some serious stuff. It was in the millions of Scoville. I don't know exactly what the number was, but the Scoville units that they used to measure how hot stuff is, it was in the millions. It was it was nuts. My Fuck brother that. Richie that I do the bro down with, him and our buddy Adam that draws penises on everything. Yeah. They did they did the ghost pepper chili challenge where you chew a ghost pepper for 30 seconds and then swallow it. Richie, I think one of them threw up. The other one pounded a half gallon of milk and then threw up and like had to like Richie called out of work for like three days, like three cheese. He's a bit of a sissy pants, but he was pretty fucked up from it to the point where I'm not going to do it. No, yeah. nah, I'm good. No, you don't need that. That's poison. <laughs> Why would you torture yourself? Well, like, uh, so my, my, one of my buddies got one of the sauces that were in the hot ones lineup. And I mean, they change it every year, so I couldn't tell you what year or anything, but it was right in the middle. So, you know, not too crazy, like their their last dab or whatever that looked like absolute hell on a chip. Um, but it was like right in the middle, you know, so pretty hot. And 
I ate some of that on a chip and the flavor was awful. Like it was just like a mustardy, nasty burn. And then it just, it's just pain. Like it, it doesn't, it's not even like a, a, like a spice or like a burn. It, your mouth just hurts. It doesn't, there's nothing enjoyable about it. Like it's just, it's just pain. It just hurts. Yeah. That's all. I, I don't know. Some people are masochists, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like I guess so. That not for me. You just, you just grossed me out with that mustard flavor. I like regular mustard, but spicy Dijon mustard is nasty and can go fuck itself. I like oh, the spicy like- brown. I don't like Dijon, but the spicy brown mustard, that's some good stuff. I put that on hot dogs and brats. Maybe like I'm turned little, off because little Dijon or like you get the grainy stuff and you mix it with um, with mayonnaise. It makes a really good dip. Mm-hmm. You remember those commercials that they used to like just plague us with as kids? The Grey Poupon. The Grey Poupon. The Grey Poupon. That was one of my one of my favorite uh, parts of. Uh, did you guys ever watch Fresh Prince when you were kids? Yeah, yeah of course. So uh, there's this one part where uh, uh, Will's trying to like pretend that he's not getting all high and mighty from living in Beverly Hills, and him and um. Oh shit! What was his cousin's name? I can't remember. Carlton. Carlton. Thank you. Uh, him and him and Carlton basically ask the butler to make like the same sandwich, but they ask him in like different ways. Like he he makes him a sandwich. He's like, "Man, you gonna stiff a brother on the Grey Poupon?" And <laughs> that's like stuck in my head. Like anytime anybody says Grey Poupon, I I think of Will Smith saying, "You gonna stiff a brother on Grey Poupon?" Every time. <laughs> That was yeah. back when he was like not a douche. Oh, remember when he was funny? <laughs> yeah. He had his you heyday when we were growing up. On out your mouth. <laughs> Sorry, was that too far? No. That ru- <laughs> poor guy ruined his own career. He should just divorce that bitch. Yeah. Poison bitch. She's terrible. Yeah. Let's play an ad. Let's do that. <laughs> Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Gooses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Luke will be on soon. Yes, you guys will actually uh, get to hear. I like those Maritime Knife guys. That Lawrence is a good dude. Yes, he is. We like them, too. He's got some... uh, What's uh is it the Max Grip? The the Maximus Knives uh hand stamper jig? Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? The Max Grip? Mm-hmm. Yep. He's got he's got a bunch of those in stock. So if anybody's out there hand stamping their uh their maker's mark, go check that out. I saw he, he just got a post a, that a while ago. He just got a re up of Baker Forge and Tool Damascus. Ooh. Um, there was something else he's carrying now that I've been meaning to grab. Oh, what the fuck is it? I'm such a bad sponsored guy. <laughs> He's doing really good about bringing in the stuff that people actually want. Oh, yeah. for sure. 
he he's one of the very few like i've i've dealt with a lot of companies over the years with you know different industries and stuff but uh lawrence is by far the most responsive as far as hey if you carry this we'll buy it and he does like he he listens it's pretty awesome Oh, he was even buying he's... off of uh, buying off of other like makers. Like it, he started carrying, like you say, that Damascus. He starts carrying like ha- guys handle material. He's supporting everyone who supports him as well. He uh, expanded out. Other than Baker Forge, he's got Dama Steel now. He's got Dama Core, which looks super badass. And that's that stainless Damascus, right? Yeah, yeah. Baker Forge Tsunami. But he sells everything. Tools, ovens, grinders. Oh, can't twist clamps. The cantilever clamp. Ah, that's what it was, yeah. That's what it was. And they're not bad. They're twenty five bucks a piece. What's a no, what's a cantilever clamp? What am I not one uh, of one of those? Patient? Oh. I made one of those in school when I was going through school for uh, machining class. Yeah. Oh, he's got different ones. He's got one inch, two inch, two and a half, two and a half with a different jaw style, and then a deep reach welding one. Deep. All all different prices. Deep reach. The deep reach one is 60 bucks. That's the the most expensive one on there. I sprung for a couple of... Sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry. I was just saying I sprung for a couple of real good uh, welding clamps last time I was at the uh, we got Princess Auto up here, which is basically like Harbor Freight. And they have those really nice big ass welding C clamp there, the F clamps and the they have one that's got like the the ratcheting lever action instead of like a, oh, the squeeze ones. No. Yeah, I guess technically it's sort of a squeeze one, but it's. Yeah, it's huge, and you just ratchet the thing forward and closes up super quick. I use it for clamping anything I'm cutting to my table. Oh, nice. They're quick mm. and strong. Yeah, I love those squeeze clamps. I I use those for all my glue-ups and everything. Just got that little ratchet mechanism in there. They pop off really nice and fast. I use them for all kinds of stuff. They're great. Oh, like the pistol grip clamps? You know, no, no, about. like the like like the ones that are basically kind of like pliers, but they have the movable little fingers, and you just it's got a little ratchet in there, and you squeeze it, and it closes up. Oh, yep. I use a lot of the pistol grip clamps, like they're going out of style because I'm doing hidden tanks, so I have to cut slots in the jaws. Right. Yeah. And then they break, and you can't buy replacement parts for Harbor Freight clamps, so I just throw so you them just away go and buy another one for six bucks, and it's fine. mm Hmm. That's what Harbor Freight's for. Is when you when you when you need to buy a tool that you know you're going to take an angle grinder to immediately when you buy it. You buy it at Harbor Freight. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. I like F clamps. I'm, I'm a big proponent of uh, four inch Bessie F clamps for my glue and my handles. And then I got some longer ones for um, a lot of hidden tank stuff. I got like the like the uh, 16 inch or 18 inch or whatever they are for doing hidden tanks. But they're metal, and I don't. I don't want to cut a slot in them for doing that. <laughs> yeah. I got to, I like rig up weird pieces of wood and stuff on either end and try and clamp it all together and hope I'm not bending anything funny. It's janky and it works. Good a enough. Lot of janky shit works for sure. <laughs> it's not stupid if it works. That's right. All right. Well, 
I wanted to ask a, a quick question uh, to you, Mike. Here, um, we talk a lot about a lot of random topics on on this show, but I wanted to get kind of specific. Where do you see yourself growing your business? Like, let's just say, like the next year or next five years, if you, if you have like a five year plan or or um, something like that. But what what steps do you think you feel yourself making in the future to ensure that your business continues to grow? Obviously, you're a full-time maker, so it's a little bit different than part-timers like me and maybe a lot of our listeners as well. But where do you see yourself going in the next, you know, one year, five year, whichever you prefer? And and what steps do you do you see yourself taking to ensure that you're not beholden to an algorithm or that, uh, you know, you're a little bit more, I don't want to say recession-proof, but uh, more insulated from any sort of like, you know, any of the kind of turbulence we see in the world today? Yeah, I mean, that's really the the question that's kind of should be on everybody's mind right now is the future. Um, it's always gets a little tricky, especially when I mean, making handmade knives, it's definitely a commodity. And one of the first things that goes when people start tightening up with their pocketbooks. So it's, it's not like we're, you know, selling food or gas or something like that, that everybody needs no matter what. So it's tricky to, to, to try and, you know, like, like you say, insulate yourself. Um, I mean, just around here, we're kind of expanding into being a little more independent uh, as far as like growing a lot of our own food and stuff. We got a bunch of pigs this year and we got chickens and last year we did cows. We got a little bit of property up here. So we're trying to make that work for us a little bit. But um, I mean, in reality, that's you're never going to be fully independent unless you got two people full time jobs gardening and stuff up here and yeah our, of course obviously our uh our growth season's not super long either so um as, but as far as like making knives it's always just been about uh staying kind of flexible um moving with kind of the market um not so much being dependent on like trends but being able to at least capitalize on stuff like that um and just, yeah, just trying to not be so stubborn that you, you know, I'm only going to make this one kind of knife because that's what I do. And, you know, it's, it's what's worked for me for the last five years. So it's going to work for the next five because it's you never know. Right. And um, trying not to put all your eggs in one basket as far as, you know, social media. So trying to expand out of that and thing, doing things like a mailing list, newsletter mailing list or um, just finding other ways to market it. Um, I've got that, um, sort of semi-production line I've been doing with a MJ series where I get as much of it outsourced, as much of the, the work outsourced as possible. And then I'm just left, you know, grinding bevels and, and putting handles on and doing all the hand finishing myself. And I even outsource the sheaths to, um, Comox custom on Vancouver Island. And so just, you know, outsourcing as much of that as I can for that specific line so that I can keep the price point down and it's a more repeatable product so i've been trying to kind of market that out to some stores a little bit and see if i can get into a little bit more of a consistent turnover or a consistent buyer in some shops like that uh just you know things like that just trying to think outside the box a little bit um recognizing what's working and stopping what's not working you know the i was talking to this uh entrepreneur guy one time who um he kept using this phrase that I thought was really smart and he kept safe, he kept saying fail fast. 
So like, don't just keep pumping money and time into something that's slowly failing. That's all just wasted. If something's failing, you know, be able to cut that off, fail fast and move on to the next thing. Um, so I, you know, if, if something's just, if, you know, if you got a, um, a style of knife or, a, you know, a specific model that you really think is awesome and you really like making it and you think it's super cool, but nobody's buying it, you know, there's no point making them if no one's buying them. Right. So just, you know, things like that, just trying to stay flexible and fluid. And, um, as far as, man, I've really, my brother's in marketing and business and he would kill me for saying this, but I've never really had like a five-year plan and I've always felt so bad about like, I feel like you really should have like a, <laughs> a goal in mind, something you're driving towards, you know, a vision board or, you know, some bullshit like that. I've never had that. Um, you know, I've always had these little goals that I wanted to reach and things like that. But um, I wish that I had that kind of something that I'm pushing towards to have that plan in mind, that one year, five year, 10 year sort of um, foresight, I guess. But uh, I mean, for me, the only thing, that I'm one, well, I guess I, you know, you always have little ideas coming up, but one of the big ones that I've always wanted to get into is making folding knives. So I think that'd be cool to get into doing some of that. But again, like we were talking about making Damascus and you know, what's, what's a cost effective building those folding knives by hand looks like a lot of work and a lot of very intricate, time-consuming work <laughs> and um so it's you know it's going to be like starting from scratch all over again figuring out all that stuff all the mechanism all the moving parts all the where do you get hardware for all that stuff and what works what size you need all those different things it um it looks daunting to me so one day when i've got the patience i'm hoping to get into folding knives eventually yeah i've always felt like there's more of a lasting market for folding knives more people carry folding knives. There's um, a like the the uh, the real like steel dorks and stuff like the guys that love all those super steels and all those you know the fancy materials the titanium the anodized titanium stuff and the carbon fiber and everything. There's a huge market for way overpriced knives. Um, problem is you got to really establish yourself. Like I've been part of a couple of Facebook groups that are into those and guys are paying stupid money for these knives and they've got thousands and thousands of dollars in collections of all these folding knives that they've that just sit there and they don't ever use them they're just collectors right but there's mm-hmm. a yeah. massive collector's market over there you just got to establish a name for yourself amongst those guys and get a foot in the door there and you're good to go if you're making those those super expensive high-end pieces ah uh, when i first started making i joined a facebook group i think it was called knife gods and uh, you weren't allowed to post a knife if it was under 400 bucks. <laughs> Get a life. Come on. <laughs> like that's, that's awesome. how's yeah. that, how's that encouraging anybody to get into it? Like when I first started out, I remember selling a knife for 350 bucks to this guy. And it was because it was a knife that I made and I wanted to keep. And it was super sick and I really liked it. And it had all the bells and whistles of everything I had learned to do up to that point. And he was like, I put, I put a, a picture up and he was like, Hey man, how much for that knife? I, I really want it. And I was like, Oh, someone would have to offer me something crazy for that. Like, I really want to keep it. And he goes, what's well, crazy. And I was like, 
350 and he was like done sold and i was like holy shit i just sold a 350 knife. you know what i mean <laughs> i'm like three four years into it at that point like that was huge for me and um i mean fuck if there was a group of guys that wouldn't let you post a photo of that knife at that point in my knife making i'd be like why am i even doing this i'm, I'm never gonna be good enough for those guys you know what i mean that's so discouraging right. to, to that was makers. like a collector's page though they were posting like you know, they're flexing on each other. Yeah. Dorks. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. if they want to no, buy stuff, that's... awesome. Pump money into the industry. Good. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. I would lo- I'd also love to get into the folders. I- I've got a number of customers that have told me, as soon as you start making folders, I will buy one. And I've, you know, I've made a couple of friction folders here and there. Um, but uh, I mean, if if I'm not going to carry a knife, I don't really expect anyone else to. And it's like, I'm not going to carry a friction folder like I I carry something that I can flip open with one finger. You know, like that's that's not really interesting or. I don't know, I, it was interesting, it was a fun process to make. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about a folding knife, you're expecting something that has, a you know, like at the very least a liner lock or something like that. And you're right. I mean, it is very daunting and you, you go on these websites that sell the hardware to make them and everything's in, you know, like down to the hundreds and thousands of an inch for detent balls and, and, and screws and, and all this stuff. And it's like, if I was going to go down this rabbit hole, I would have to go completely down this rabbit hole. And I got a list of custom orders that tells me I can't go down that rabbit hole right now. So <laughs> yeah, it's actually, Eventually, I will. World. But yeah. right now, that's a that's a hard no, bud. So yeah, it's a whole different world. And like you say, like you you would need to devote a couple of months easy to just strictly. And I mean, I'm talking full time. You're and you're part time too. Oh, yeah. So I mean, you got to devote a lot of time into and just be okay with you're about to make a lot of mistakes, and it's going to be frustrating and, and expensive um, and expense. Yeah, exactly. Um like Mike said, the hardware and stuff, I've been taking all of my folders apart lately just to see how different ones work and whatnot. And in taking them apart, the two things that really seem the most like, Hmm, how is a small maker going to pull that off is the springs. If you want a spring assist, which I do and grinding blades that stop three quarters of an inch behind the bevel. That was the, the Lord first made time. vice grips for me. <laughs> that was the first time I thought like you got to have a jig at that point. I've never had a jig in my life to grind bevels. And that was the first time I was like, yeah, exactly. How are you going to hold on to that little thing? You, you'd have to build something, some sort of assistance. I decided I'm going to yeah, make cool. my favorite one that I carry every day. I'm going to make a different blade for it. And just That's to a, see probably a good way to start. You know, yeah. Just see how it feels to grind something that short. Hmm. Yeah. So the way that I did it when I did it with a couple of friction folders is I just grabbed it with vice grips and ground the ground the bevels and did all the grinding before I did any of the the fine work um, for the you know the hole and the stop and everything for it. So there's ways you oh. can get around it. And the ball detent that's on these locks that yes. lock up under your blade. How the fuck do they get those to stay in there? Yes, that's that's question. <laughs> yes, that is the question. <laughs> anyway, I do not know. I don't know. I I 
have been really thinking that's uh, the direction I'm going to go. And I'm not going to make Damascus. If I just if somebody wants Damascus, they can just pay the extra and I'll buy it. And that way, you know, I mean, I trust all these like Timber Tiger Forge. I've used a few pieces of his stuff. Never found any D lambs or anything. Baker Forge. I've used their stuff. It's all. It takes the risk out of it for you. I mean, these guys know what the fuck they're doing and that's all they do. You know, they don't make knives. They make steel. Yeah, and it shows up like the stuff I've get is is uh, surface ground, so it's flat. It's exactly the thickness I want. It's you can see he he uh, etches it, so you can see the pattern right away before you start working. It's just like it gets there and it's you know ready to go, no messing yeah. around. And all those guys, nice... if you ever find a D lamb or something, you let them know they'll be right on top of helping you out to get it, get you a new a new billet or something. Because yeah. They want you to be as happy as you want your knife customers to be. Right. And I got a nice and piece of Sammy in the mail today, actually. Oh, nice. Did you now? Yep. From Mr. Noah Blomberg. <laughs> did you like the decoration on it? What? Did you draw a dick on it? I didn't did, even did notice. You, you didn't you didn't unwrap it? Oh, I unwrapped it. Oh, okay. Uh, no, oh, no, hold no, on. Never mind. Never mind. You got to figure out how to do like dick dick pattern in Damascus or something. (laughs) Well, what I was going to say when you were talking about, you know, he was talking about uh, Timber Tiger and you guys were talking about uh, Baker Forge and stuff is, you know, that's kind of the difference between somebody who's, you know, you're doing it for a business. You need a repeatable pattern and you need a, a consistent product that you can buy and offer to your customers. Whereas someone like me, I'm. I'm going on an adventure every time I make Damascus, you know, I'm doing it for fun. I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing and, uh, and I'm just having fun with it. I just discovered the penis on my, on my thing. That's (laughs) damn dude. You have drawn a lot of dicks. That's a very nice, (laughs) nice dick. That's very proportionate. I hope that that leached through into this the pores of the steel <laughs> dude that happened to me one time i wrote bradford on one of the knives i was making because it's for my buddy bradford and then when i etched it you could see bradford in the steel <laughs> oh that's kind of cool if you did it on purpose it'd be sweet is this already annealed noah no come okay. on yeah what you I, pay for i was right? i i was going to <laughs> anneal it and and I kept putting it off so long that like he was never going to get it if I finally like actually took the time. So I just sent it to him and just got it over with. Just gonna this burn is a piece of steel that, that we've literally been talking about for months and I just finally actually got it to him. So it's I'm I'm awful. I'm terrible with that. So I'm, I'm doing a run to you tomorrow. tomorrow. So <laughs> I, I missed that. Uh, he said I'm that? not coming to you for my sandbox. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> no, um, uh, you know, you know, customers' orders are a totally different thing. Like it's, it's like a different part of my brain for some reason that that goes to that. Like uh, I recently did a run of uh, little EDC knives, and every single one of those sold was shipped, like packaged and shipped, and within twenty four hours, you know, just like, out the door. And um, when I finish a you know a customer's custom knife order, it's it's done, it's shipped as soon as it's done, you know, like that's totally different in my mind for some reason. That's just the way that my effed up brain works. I, it bugs me when stuff's 
like sitting there ready to be done. Like, it, it, like, uh, I don't know if it's someone list guy. Like I love crossing things off of lists and I just have, uh, the satisfaction of completing stuff like tying up loose ends and, you know, striking it off a list is hugely motivating to me and having things that work sitting there that could just get done. Like it'll keep me up. I'll, I'll get out of bed at night and go into my office and pack up a knife and, you know, make a shipping label. If it's sitting there, then you need to do needing to get done. Cause I won't be able to sleep if it's, if I know it's just sitting there, that bugs me. Yeah. There was a, yeah. there was this fucking, I, I probably shouldn't call him out again. I bitch about him nonstop, <laughs> but he's, he was <laughs> talking on a podcast, very popular knife podcast about how, uh, he had he was bitching about his customers complaining that they bought knives off his website like finished ready to ship for sale knives and he was like it takes me you know it says right on my website that it it takes up to 10 days to ship your knife and you know it says so right there and i had this guy complaining that it had been eight days and he still i still hadn't shipped his knife and i was like dude what the fuck are you doing the guy bought the knife it's not yours anymore it's his knife why are you still hanging on to it go to the post office like (laughs) you that that would drive me crazy like if if someone didn't ship something that i bought for eight days i'd be pissed off too yeah that doesn't make much sense yeah, I'm kind of confused on that one. I mean, if somebody bought a knife off of my website, I mean, I'm scrambling to ship it. Like, I, I ship it the same day. If it's an already English made too, knife. So it might, it might just be an English thing. <laughs> well, we were talking about English people earlier not being able to handle the spicy food. So maybe that's the, that's the thing, too. I mean, salt's probably too spicy for them. They like to eat plain <laughs> peas that are boiled until they're mushy and disgusting. So I, I brought that up with honor on the fire and steel that they have a reputation of having shitty food. And then in talking to him, we realized that we eat the same food here in new England. <laughs> so <laughs> we have shitty food also. Uh, self burn. I like it. Yeah. Potatoes well, and fish and chips and stuff. I think we probably need to hear from our, uh, our guys over there at Phoenix abrasives. Oh yeah. Let's do that. Hustle and Grind podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Abrasives, your one-stop abrasive shop. When you go to phoenixabrasives.com, click the shop icon in the upper right-hand corner to find all the abrasives you'll ever need. Check out the Incinerator 36-grit ceramic belts, along with the Trizact gator belts that the hosts of Hustle and Grind use every day. When you check out, use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your entire order. Thanks, Luke. And actually, if you guys are on a Phoenix Abrasives mailing list, every so often, like for Mother's Day, they throw an 11% sale out there. So if you're looking to get a little more discount, get on the Phoenix Abrasives mailing list and uh, get those notifications whenever there's a sale coming up. And this Mother's Day was one of those. And uh, yeah, check out some stuff from Phoenix Abrasives. We appreciate you guys supporting the people that sponsor us. And uh, I see you guys doing that all the time. So thank you very much for doing that. And also shout out to all of the lovely people that support us on Patreon. Um, I think we read you guys out last week, so we're not going to do it again this week. But a huge shout out to all you guys that support us. We really appreciate that. Helps us get a little bit more motivation uh, to keep going. And uh, that's always appreciated. It helps pay the, pay the bills to keep bringing you guys content. Um, and if you are a patron, 
you can listen to the after show where we're going to read off some crazy stories here. And uh, we're going to actually talk about uh, a little bit of work ethic is something that's going to come up in today's after show. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And if that sounds like something you'd like to listen to, you can go to patreon.com slash hustle and grind. And for as little as $1 a month, you can click that, uh, click that subscribe button, support us. Unfortunately, uh, as soon as you click that button, uh, someone that you hate in the world will suddenly get a million dollars. But you'll be able to listen to our after show and someone will die. But again, you don't know that person, so it doesn't really matter. Um, you'll get to listen to our after show and you get to support us. So and we'll get a dollar. What did Not I say? a million, just one. No, 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 no. So, someone else that they hate in the world will get a million dollars. That's what happens when you hit that subscribe button. You know, whoever the person is that's hitting the subscribe button, someone that they hate, something really good will happen to them, but they'll get to listen to our after show. So it's okay. Man, uh, hopefully it's someone that hates me. Yeah. I need more people, more people to hate me should sign up to your Patreon. <laughs> all, what do they say? All press is good press. Yeah. <laughs> I think I started oh. a Patreon one time. I think I have one subscriber. I right was on, doing, man. I was doing videos. of. Uh, I only did one and I need to do more of them. This was recently. And uh, it was a Will, Will It Bush Fuck videos. And I just basically smashed things with my Bush Fucker. <laughs> nice. You want to shout out your one patron? Uh, Jess, Jess Lexic, she's, uh, she was the one who talked me into doing it and then she signed up. Oh, nice. And, uh, <laughs> she watched the one video I made and I feel super bad because I hope she still isn't paying me. <laughs> 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 uh, classic. So, all right, guys, I wanted to bring up my raffle real quick. Yeah, go ahead, man. I just dropped a raffle. And so basically what happened was. I'm not looking for a pity party. I fucking hate pity parties, but I just wanted to be like clear with everybody what happened. So I had a couple thousand bucks set aside for spending money for Blade. My tickets are already bought. My rental car is already bought and lodging is already set aside. Um, And then my dog got sick and passed away. And the vets, if your dog dies, they still charge you. So I ended up like spending all of it pretty much at the vet. So I'm just trying to recruit some spending money for blade so i don't have to bump french fries off everybody and yeah so it's a five piece knife set winner's choice winner's choice of steel mono steel everybody don't be picking no crazy baker ford shit um comes with a magnetic rack you can choose wall mount freestanding type of wood if it's available to me locally um whatever you want and so that's going to run 10 bucks a spot, unlimited spots until May 31st. And then I'll do the drawing from Blade Show or not at Blade Show, probably in the Airbnb with everybody. But yeah. So if you want to help, go find Man, my post. I didn't realize it was because your dog died. That sucks. Yeah, it does. She was my she was my homie. Uh, uh, we, had, we had had it for 10 years and her decline was super fast. Um. So oh, that's good. She started she started showing signs like not eating as much around January, a um, bunch of different vet bills. And then um, we took her in. They diagnosed her with cancer. And then she just went. We went out to go pee later that night. This was two weeks ago, two Mondays ago. Um, and when I 
came to let her back in the house. She was only out there maybe one minute. Um, she couldn't stand on her back legs. And I'm not going to do that. I can't fucking stand it when people like let their dogs suffer because they can't handle the pain of losing them. You know what I'm saying? Like you see dogs that are just like, kill me. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that to her. So that's not fair. Yeah, we do that with people. Yeah, we do do that with people. We lost one last uh, last summer. Same thing. She's probably 13. Our Husky Shepherd. She was our first dog we got. And she was just like, she, she was all personality. Like, dog people really loved her because she was like such a, a, just a great personality. And uh, and people who weren't dog people really didn't get why we loved her so much. <laughs> she was like, she almost had like a the personality of a cat, sort of like everything was just on her terms, right? She was part husky too. So she was definitely a bit of a bitch. But um, once you like, broke through that barrier and got any form of affection or anything from her. It was like the greatest fucking moment of your life sort of thing. Right. Mm. And, uh, same thing. Like she was getting old, getting old. And then just pretty much in one night, she was just like, boom, like she, I don't know if she had like a heart attack or something, but she collapsed and we were like, what the fuck? And then she, and she had stopped breathing and then she came to for a little bit and, but couldn't like get up and move around. Like when she went down, like she went kind of like starfish. So she probably fucked her hips up doing that. Um, and then like, I couldn't get a hold of our friend that was, that's a vet to try and do something. This was like in the evening, like nine o'clock at night or something. So we were like, fuck, what do we do? And, um, so we just kind of like, kept her in bed and, you know, did everything we could to make her comfortable. And in the morning she was not better at all. And she had a really rough night. And so it was like straight to the vet, super quick, boom, done. But it was like the same way she lived. The, she died the same way she lived. Like basically she was like all good until she was just like, yep, I'm all, I'm over it. Done. Boom. Gone. So yeah. It's not I had easy, but she- you're, George Carlin said, when you're getting a pet, you're basically buying a small tragedy, which is true. It always ends terribly, but try and focus on all the good times. Yeah, for sure. She had a really hard beginning, so we always swore we would never let her suffer in her old age. Um, But yeah, I mean, it sucks, dude. She was my homie. Uh, She was born in an animal horde, and her and her whole litter were never let out of a crate until they raided the house and they were four months old. Like when we got her, she couldn't walk and she was nine months old and she would just, she would just sit there and shake. And she turned into like years and years of me just like loving her and showing her like, you know, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. I couldn't count how many times I said, Carolyn, you're fine. Carolyn, you're fine. And throughout her whole life. Um, cause she would just like, like one time she was shitting outside and her poop broke through the ice underneath her. And it's, like scared her to death. Whoa, fucking ran back in the house. She's just terrified of everything because no socialization. But she, towards the end, I mean, she still showed like uh, she would always take mouthfuls of food and carry them into the next room and eat them. Oh, and no then, way. And then and then go back and get more and carry it into the next room and eat them or like carry it up onto our bed. Our bed was her favorite spot. Yeah, always. But. So that's what yeah, the raffle is about. It's just trying to help me recoup my spending money for Blade. So I'm not like, you know, bumming smokes and French fries and everybody off everybody. You know, <laughs> it's life. I, it's life. And I like I almost didn't even post about it 
when when she was sick but i was like so distraught in the moment like i felt like maybe it would make me feel better um but there's not a creature on this earth that's going to give me as much love as that dog gave me in the 10 years we had her yeah that's what that's the problem that's they if it wouldn't suck so bad if they uh didn't mean so much to us i guess Mm -hmm. and i'm so thankful we got vernon when we did because if we didn't oh, have yeah. Vernon, if we didn't have Vernon now, I'd probably like really be in a deep depression about it. Our other dog wouldn't know what to do. Um, and, you know, he got he got he was the last one. She was really good at teaching other pets the ropes. Mm -hmm. um, so he was the last one that she was like, yo, motherfucker, this is how you act. And he's such a good boy. He's a good dog. We got the two puppies thinking the same things. We have an, uh, we had the two. And then when she was getting older, we thought like, oh, this other one, like he was, she was like the mother figure to him when we got him as a puppy and everything. He just stuck right to her. And so we thought, fuck, like when she goes, he's going to need like a buddy. And so we went to go and find one and we ended up coming with two. <laughs> and so we had the two puppies and yeah, same thing. Like she would break them up when they were scrapping and stuff. And she totally policed the, all of them and everything. So we were lucky that she got a little bit of an influence on them before she went. Yeah. Friggin' Georgia, my little beagle hound, everybody sees when they watch because she'll come in and sit in my chair. She uh, she was limping the other day, and my heart stopped. I'm like, you fucking bitch. No mm -hmm. fucking way. She's okay. She supermans off the porch to chase mm -hmm. the birds, and I think she must have just landed wrong. Like, her, she can move fine, but if you squeeze her shoulder, she'll yelp a little bit. So I think she just, like, tore something or sprained it. She'll be okay. But Yikes. I'm like, God damn, dog. And no she's short, too. So, yeah, no more vet bills. I told her, I'm like, Georgia, if your arm's broken, you're dead. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we don't have any money. You're dead. It's it. My well, freaking dog. He's super good. I'm hoping so. Yeah. I'm, I sell a knife set for 1200 bucks, so I'm hoping that's about what I'll be able to raise. I mean, it's short of what I was going to take to Blade, but that's okay. I mean, I have plenty of handle material here. I got knife steel up the ass. It's like. It's about I the like, experience. Yeah, I have to like look for stuff to buy on the sites now because I've just got so much on hand because I hoard it. Yeah, I, I know how that goes. I don't know anything about hoarding. Not, no, don't know what you're talking about. You'll actually probably see another post from me soon. Pickle told me to post some of my handle material. I think I'm going to listen to him. So mm, I've probably go. got 40 blocks stabilized, ready to go. I just got to clean them up. Yeah, that's nice. a good way for some quick cash. Absolutely, mm -hmm. man. Well, hey, are you guys ready to go over to an after show, you think? Sure. All right. Bye, guys. Everybody. We appreciate you listening. Everybody have a great week. I hope it goes well with you in your work. Mike, thanks for stepping in again. What's this, the third time on short notice? Hey, I guess I'm always around. <laughs> thanks for having me back again. <laughs> thinking of me to ask. Uh, Mike Jones, I asked you and I asked Noah Vashon, but I guess oh, yeah. everybody, everybody in Noah's house is sick, so get well soon, Vashon household. Absolutely. Uh, and we're probably going to have him on again soon, probably late July. So right on. Cool, everybody. Bye.